Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Recently on Preaching and Preachers, we introduced a new series, and that is the preaching of great preachers, both past and present. Today, I welcome to the studio Dr. Matthew Barrett to the podcast to discuss the preaching of John Owen. Dr. Barrett serves here at Midwestern Seminary as Associate Professor of Christian Theology. He also is the founder and executive editor of Credo Magazine. He's the author of numerous books, including co-author of Owen on the Christian Life, Living for the Glory of God in Christ. Dr. Barrett, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for having me. That's good to have you in the studio today. I've been looking forward to this conversation with you about John Owen and the life of this remarkable man, remarkable preacher, remarkable theologian. Hey, before we get into that, I think our listeners would in, would enjoy um, just unpacking a touch about your life and ministry, what's going on right now. Of course, you have a, a credo reboot, which they would find of interest, and uh, perhaps current writing projects as well. So what's new with Dr. Barrett? Well, of course, I'm busy teaching here at Midwestern Seminary and really enjoying it, actually. Uh, my family and I, we've been here going on a year. It's gone by very fast, and uh, teaching systematic theology uh, as well as a little bit of historical theology at the Ph.D. level, and uh, I am really enjoying getting to know many of the Midwestern students on a variety of levels. Um, In terms of my own ministry, uh, yes, you're right. Uh, We are just about to release uh, Credo 2.0, I guess you could call it, or a reboot um, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, in the past, you know, I started uh, the magazine itself back in 2011. And since then, it's just, it's grown um, in ways that I did not anticipate. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. But uh, as it's grown, I think I've realized that uh, there's more that could be done with it. And uh, so this, really, this next month, we are going to be launching not only a new website with a new look, as well as an updated magazine, but also uh, a brand new podcast where I'm sitting down talking to fellow theologians, as well as uh, short videos uh, that introduce theological topics to uh, to our listeners and our and our viewers. So I'm very excited about that, and it will be uh, a project that continues to grow in many ways as uh, we bring in some of the best pastors. Uh, scholars even, to uh, write in the magazine, to uh, to talk on the podcast, and, and even to be interviewed um, in short videos. So tell me, tell us, as it relates to the podcast, drop a few names or topics that are forthcoming. Yes. Well, we've got all all the major theologians, and this really is the, uh, the joy and the goal of the podcast is as I look out on the evangelical scene, it just seems like no one's actually sitting down. There's many podcasts on ministry. Oh, it's a great pro- podcast I'm preaching, of course. Sure. But, um, but not so many on theology itself, which is surprising. And so there's and a, it's more of a long form, right? That's right. So I'm sitting down. It's not so much an interview as it is a conversation that I'm having with uh, major theologians today. So you think of, for example, uh, Scott Swain, who's the president over at RTS. Or uh, Mike Horton, who's uh, a theologian over at Westminster. You, many know him from his systematic theology. John Frame, uh, as well as others. Uh, in the fall, we're going to have uh, a number of others. We've, we've got some uh, very uh, niche scholars, such as da- James Dolezal. Uh, but then we also have some 
names that are a little bit outside the evangelical tradition, uh, individuals like David Bentley Hart or Thomas Wynandy, in which we're sitting down talking about uh, doctrine of God uh, and uh, providence and a whole bunch of other doctrines. Uh, and sometimes those conversations are not just interesting to listen to, but also we're engaging in ways that we may agree or disagree at times. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to getting it. I've seen you in the studio walking by recording, and I've heard I've heard rumblings of how good the podcast is. And so I, I do think there is a niche there. There's a need there because, you know, there, there aren't many podcasts devoted singularly to theology. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of, you know, podcasts on theology of ministry, theology of leadership, theology of preaching, theology of the local church, whatever, whatever, whatever. But as far as just podcasts to talk about a theological topic for 40, 45 minutes, there aren't many of those. And I should add, as, as a bit of a qualification, we do get deep in, into the deep things of God, uh, to borrow from uh, um, a book written by Fred Sanders, um, but at the, who, who, by the way, we, he's also another conversation partner for the podcast. But at the same time, we also really enjoy maybe taking a break, stepping back, and doing more personal conversations. So I just did one with Tom Schreiner, who's been a mentor for a long time, but also a very good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than diving, as Tom really could, diving into all kinds of theological topics, we really went through his life and talked about how how in the world he came to the point at which God's brought him today. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. One more question before we get into John Owen, writing project. You, I have in my hand, hot off the presses, recently delivered to me, as recent as two minutes ago in the studio, uh, 40 Questions About Salvation out by Kriegel. What else is on the horizon? Well, 40 Questions About Salvation has been a long time coming, and they're short chapters meant to introduce readers, especially those in the church, just to some of the basics of the doctrine of salvation. But there's many others coming. Uh, the biggest one that one I'm very excited about is a book for pastors, churchgoers, even beginning students on the attributes of God. That'll come out about March, early March uh, of next year. And that is a book I've been working on for some time, and not just introducing uh, people to the attributes of God, but to attributes that, frankly, have been lost, forgotten, or we just don't understand the significance of. I also have... Uh, Another project, a bigger project, more academic project on the doctrine of justification coming out about the same time next year, and that'll be gathering together about 25 major scholars, biblical scholars, theological, historical scholars on uh, the doctrine, as as, uh, many have said, the doctrine in which the church stands or falls. And then after that, of course, I'm in the process of writing uh, a couple more books uh, that I have up my sleeve. One is in Carson series, uh, New Studies in Biblical Theology on Jesus, the Gospels, and Biblical Authority, as well as, uh, on the heels of that, another book, uh, really a theological case for the inspiration of Scripture. And then the big one will be a history of the Reformation. Uh, that's going to take some time, but uh, I've, I've been given, I think, enough time to complete it. And uh, it's a little bit intimidating, to be honest with you. But I have some some good friends on my bookshelf that are going to help me along the way, names like Martin Luther and John Calvin and others. Very good. We look forward to all those forthcoming resources. Well, today we're talking about the preaching of John Owen. Now, in addition to your just your broader study and work on the Reformation and beyond and previous, 
John Owen, I mentioned the book that you co-wrote with uh, with Dr. Michael Haken, I believe. Is that right? That was with Dr. Haken, right? That's right. And also, you wrote an article not too long ago, and perhaps say a word about it, on uh, the duty of a pastor, John Owen, on feeding the, plo- feeding the flock by diligent preaching of the Word. Yes, that article was published, I think, two and a half years ago, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, in Themelios. It's an article you can go online and, and download in an instance. The article really came out of the book that I wrote with Michael Haken, Owen on the Christian Life. Originally, it was in the book, but uh, you, you know how book projects go. In order to get the word count down, we had to eliminate some things, and so I took this out. But this, this what was in the book, and that was an article, this article is really meant to introduce you to a segment of Owen's life that often doesn't get attention. You know, we think of him as this, you know, ma- rightly so, as this, you know, massive theologian, uh, this this huge thinker for his time, as well as a one heavily involved in the politics of his day, both in the church and the state. But actually, Owen was a regular preacher and a very gifted one, and not just a preacher, but he was very involved in ordination sermons that he would give for those under his care going into ministry for the first time. And so this article that I've written really is focusing on one of those ordination sermons in which you just have Owen, I think, at his best, where he's not only telling you what preaching is all about, but how the pastor is to to go about preaching, what are to be his main priorities, his main concerns, as well as instructing the church on how they are to engage their pastor and how they are to understand the importance of preaching for their own local assembly. Dr. Barrett, let's pause just for a moment. Uh, We have a brief word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. All right, I'm back in the studio with Dr. Matthew Barrett talking about the preaching of John Owen. At the, at the macro level, why John Owen? Okay, why does it, before you answer that though, so I want you to, I want to frame this up. Why John Owen? Why do we classify him as a great preacher? Many of us who are familiar with him would think of him primarily as a writer and author. Um, many of us would, would, would think of him as a theologian, M- maybe not straightway as a preacher, but to answer the question of why, I think you first have to answer the question, who? Who was John Owen? Put him in his historical context. Well, John Owen was a 17th century English Puritan, and he lived at a very important uh, time during uh, the 17th century in which uh, the English were at civil war with one another in 1642. As he's in the middle of this conflict, he is pastoring different churches. So uh, he pastors a church in Essex in 1643, and then uh, several years later, He uh, preaches before Parliament and then also pastors another church in uh, Cogshaw at St. Peter's. 
many don't realize this, but during this time, Owen is sometimes preaching to up to 2,000 people in his congregation uh, during one service. And so his preaching is not only being heard, but it's very influential uh, for Christians in his day. But also, as you move forward in, in his own ministry, you discover that Owen is not just a local pastor, as we might think of today, but he is at the center of political conflict. Uh, actually, it's when Oliver Cromwell hears John Owen preach that Cromwell more or less says, I have to have this man. And from that point forward, Owen is very involved in, in Cromwell's own affairs. Uh, he becomes eventually becomes dean of Christchurch, even vice chancellor of Christchurch at Oxford University. And then he travels with Cromwell to Ireland, for example, as Cromwell's on a political he has a political agenda here, but Owen is preaching to the masses in Ireland, masses who have not heard the gospel at all. And Owen, we can talk about this in a minute, but Owen is struck to the heart as he is just crushed seeing so many without Christ. And of course, from there, uh, Owen not only has these golden years under Cromwell, but when Cromwell dies and there's more conflict with uh, the rise of Charles II, persecution breaks out. and Owen's in the middle of this. He's under this persecution, maybe not as heavily persecuted as others like John Bunyan, but he also is is under this pressure, and Owen stands his ground. He refuses to stop preaching, even though you have, for example, in 1662, the Act of Uniformity, mm-hmm. under which you have over 2,000 ministers ejected for not conforming to uh, the Anglican uniformity at the time. Now, wasn't he formally classified for season as the chaplain to the Lord Protector? That's right. And so Owen has this unique position where he has Cromwell's ear, but he's also very careful. Uh, He is himself, uh, he doesn't come to this position all at once, but he himself uh, becomes a congregationalist. And uh, later on, as you have the, the writing, say, of the Westminster Confession, Owen actually has a leading hand in the the Savoy uh, Declaration and Assembly and its confessional statement because he's not your typical Anglican. And so, yes, you're right. He's he's right there with Cromwell, and yet at the same time, uh, he's a bit of a fish out of water. You know, a few years ago, my wife and I were in London and uh, had the occasion to to receive a, a formal tour of Westminster Abbey. And in the group, there was about 30 of us in the group. And uh, we, we, we had went there on our own. We kind of we kind of piggybacked on with a formal group who was receiving a tour from from an official there in Westminster Abbey. And someone in the group just said, is Oliver Cromwell buried here? And I was surprised, frankly, that someone in the group was aware enough of their history to ask about <laughs> Oliver Cromwell. But having known enough of their history to ask about Oliver Cromwell, I was surprised they did not know enough to know that Oliver Cromwell's remains emphatically are not in Westminster Abbey. That's right. But we're not here to talk about Oliver Cromwell today. We're here to talk about John Owen. And but and we should also add here, I mean, you, as long as we're talking about where people are buried, uh, you can go to this day. I've been there. I've been there. It, it's it's not uh, incredibly well kept, but if you go to Bunhill Fields in London, you can still find it. It's very hard to find, but you can find it, John Owen's grave. And he's buried there because he's buried with these other nonconformists. Right. Um, of his own day. Yeah, and that, that is, if you're a, that, that is must visiting if you're on a church history tour. I mean, you have Isaac Watts there and obviously uh, you know, John Bunyan and so many others. So, 
and to show you, I mean, just to give our listeners maybe an idea of Owen's influence, it, it, during that time of, of persecution, heavy persecution, Owen, it beca- it, often through his writings, he's writing some, some of the most important books on theology and the Christian life, but he's also uh, invited to come to the States, and he's tempted for a minute to go uh, to become uh, the president of Harvard. But actually, he, he at, at the end of the day, he thinks, well, this is where God has called me, and I need to stick this out uh, for the sake of those in the church. Okay, I don't know that I was aware that he received an invitation to become president of Harvard. Yes, what happened was those in Massachusetts uh, are, they have an eye out for Owen. Uh, the, there's Puritans in Massachusetts who think Owen could actually be a huge influence in their own Puritan movement. And, of course, that's taking place not only at the ecclesiastical level, but also the institutional level. Mm -hmm. And so Owen is seen as uh, the man for the job. But, of course, Owen is so ingrained, coming coming out of uh, such an influential position with Cromwell, he's so ingrained in the the ecclesiastical and political scene in England that uh, he sees himself there first and foremost. Though it's sad because he does die not ever seen the type of liberty that would eventually come. He never sees it. He dies, uh, really dies under this persecution in England. So as to Owen and his preaching, uh, what would you say was most significant about his preaching? Well, that's an interesting question to ask. And if you could think of Owen at being asked that question, he might be a little bit surprised. We have this one anecdote where Charles II uh, asked John Owen, why would any intelligent person want to listen to a tinker, an uneducated tinker like John Bunyan? And John Owen's response is telling. He basically says, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says that he would give up all of his education, all of his learning, if he could simply possess that tinker's abilities. Now, first of all, that shows you how highly John Owen thought about John Bunyan and and his preaching. But uh, it also gives us, we have very rare glimpses, much like the life of John Calvin. We have very rare glimpses into the actual personal life of John Owen. But this is one of them in which Owen did not think very highly of his own preaching. Uh, There's reasons for that. Um, I think that if you look at his early uh, pastorates, Sometimes uh, I think the churches that he pastored were so in awe of his own education, his own skills, his own theological abilities that they didn't think to praise him. And so often, more often than not, they were quiet rather than encouraging their pastor. And I think sometimes uh, Owen took that as, as maybe a sign of his lack of skills or his lack of gifting. But actually, Owen was not without his own skills in preaching. Uh, He was very gifted as an exegete of Scripture, but then also he was, uh, unlike many others, he he could very easily move from his exegesis to his exposition of Scripture. So for many preachers, their familiarity with Owen's preaching uh, intersects with the book of Hebrews. Tell us about that. Well, if you've ever picked up Owen on Hebrews, uh, you're going to need... You hurt your back. You're going to yeah. need some help. <laughs> it's going to take up an entire bookshelf for sure. Owen, this is one of his prized uh, monumental works. I mean, when we think of John Owen, we think of the mortification 
uh, of sin. Not spin. Yes, not spin. I almost said that. Uh, the mortification of sin. Uh, we think of his communion with the, with the triune God. We might even think, for example, of some of his, his more theological works, like his doctrine on justification, which is a gem. But actually, it's his massive tome or tomes on the book of Hebrews where Owen not only gives us rigorous exegesis that has a, that centers a lot on the person of Christ and the work of Christ, especially the atonement, but Owen actually, if you, if you read it carefully, he shows you how he preaches the text. Uh, because you not only see him exegete sometimes very difficult passages, but you also see Owen move from exegesis to application of those passages, not just to Christianity in general, but to the Christian life. And that is where Owen is at his, his strongest. And that, that's his strong point. Now, I'm hitting you with questions here on the fly. But do you happen to know how long he preached through Hebrews? I mean, d- does the, the length of the commentary series reflect the duration of a sermon series or Bible study series, you know, teaching series he actually engaged in? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And this is uh, tricky. This is a tricky issue with the Puritans because with the Puritans, oftentimes they are writing much more than they may actually, uh, maybe they're they're called upon to speak before Parliament, maybe they're called upon to give a sermon. Sometimes those written sermons are much lengthier but at other times, the, what you're reading is is what they they said, and so Owen is yes. I think what we have there is is maybe a little bit more in depth, uh, especially as he sort of goes on certain um, you know tangents, some sometimes very polemical ones, given some of the atonement debates in his own day. But at the same time, as you read through those volumes on Hebrews, the the center of it, or I guess we could say the main body. Yes, I mean, this is what uh, many of his readers and listeners in his own day would have absorbed. So, Dr. Barrett, I have about two minutes left and about two questions that I want to cover. First question, what is the most important thing that you have learned from the preaching of John Owen? I think if I could, it's, it's hard to pick just one, but I think if I could pick uh, maybe one of the most important things, it would be this. For Owen, he saw the main priority or as I read about in my article, the main duty of a pastor as the priority of feeding uh, the gospel to the sheep. And that may sound obvious, but in Owen's day it wasn't, as you had many ministers who were not preaching the gospel or sometimes ministers who were not even saved themselves. And so for Owen, this was the main priority, and he also believed this had to come with a certain uh, unction as he called it, from, from the Holy Spirit. Uh, he emphasized unction over office because he recognized that there were many who were in the office of a minister holding that type of external authority, but who did not bring the gospel to the pulpit. And so Owen said, the office is not enough. The Holy Spirit must not only convict you as a preacher of God's word, but then must move within you to actually then proclaim that word to your people in a way that they can not only understand, but in a way that the the word and spirit go together. Good. All right, final question for our listeners. What are some practical things that preachers may learn or emulate from the preaching of John Owen? 
There's many things you could learn from the preaching of John Owen, and I would encourage our listeners to read some of his sermons yourself, uh, because there really is uh, just just a, a storehouse of riches there for you. But I think if I could focus on one, it would be this. Owen was not shy to point out repeatedly that uh, as much as he emphasized, um, say, the gospel itself, he stressed again and again that as a preacher, you must have the tools, the right tools to preach that gospel. Now, Owen isn't trying to, to create some elite group that can only preach the gospel. That's not his agenda. But what he is saying is that you have to do the hard work of hermeneutics. You have to spend time in the text because you have if, to get your MDiv degree. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and and Owens, uh, you know, he is a, a product of this. He spent uh, years studying the scriptures, but he stressed that to those under his care that if you don't know the scriptures, if you don't study the scriptures, if you don't have those tools to exegete the scriptures, then you're going to struggle to exposit those scriptures. And even, and this is what I think we miss in our own day, uh, for Owen, that meant. Also applying the scriptures, he said, you have to know your church. So for Owen, there's both this combination of uh, having the tools of exegesis and hermeneutics in your right hand and in your left hand, knowing your church well enough to apply those tools to them in a way that they not only can understand the scriptures, but they can go home, understand how those scriptures should influence and impact their life. So to land the plane here, and this is bonus material for those listening, we've talked a lot about Owen, about Puritans in general today. The the, the best, most accessible resource for listeners who just want to, man, they don't want to read eight books. They don't want to read a, an 800-page book. They just kind of want to read a book that really strips away and separates the fact from the fiction about who the Puritans were, how they thought, how they lived. What would that, would that, would you maybe... Would it be Leland Riken's Worldly Saints, or what book would come to mind to be just a helpful go-to resource as to who were the Puritans, how do they live, you know, what's the fact, what was the fiction, what should we know about them? Yes, I think Riken's is a great book that that readers could turn to. It just very simply introduces you uh, to these worldly saints, as he calls them. And he, in that book, he not only gives you some of the historical background, but he also brings out, I think rightly so, some of the theological emphases of the Puritans that they are known for. And, and sometimes today, we need to recover those emphases in ways that would help the church uh, continue in the 21st century. Yeah, it's a full order. I mean, if you want to know about uh, Puritan sex lives, you can read the book. <laughs> Nothing scandalous there, but he does strip away some of the caricatures. If you want to know about their view of entertainment, their view of leisure, uh, their view of work, their view of money. I mean, it really is a helpful read. Well, Dr. Barrett, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you for your ministry to us, to the podcast today. Your ministry more broadly to Midwestern Seminary and even beyond there to the church as a whole. Hope you and your family have a wonderful summer. Thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.